1: Good day,
3: good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is where you are. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning in to Line Drive Radio. Back to our Wednesday edition here this week, September 22nd, the double deuce, as we roll in to the heat and the fire of these wild card races here in Major League Baseball. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the LDR board here in the great state of New York on the longest of islands. And it's now time to bring on my LDR teammates, only, Mr. Tad Bamford. What's going down in Chi-Town, Mr. Bamford?
2: Well, uh, many of the White Sox pitchers are going down thanks to, you know, workload management, if we can use an NBA term. And a lot of caffeine is going down the pipes for me today. Uh, had yeah, to you drop got up the early old- today, buddy. Had to drop the oldest off. Bus time was 5.30 a.m., for my oldest, who is competing in the Chicago Catholic League uh, high school golf tournament, uh, representing Montini Broncos today. So uh, it's the weather dropped pretty significantly in Chicago this week, so probably about 59 degrees when he had the first tee time (laughs) on the team this morning at 7.02 a.m. Central. Uh, So looking forward to see how he does playing 18 at the gorgeous Cog Hill today but uh yeah you get so, out, have, you, but, are,
3: have you gotten out there yourself on cog hill or what
2: i i, I have donated a number of balls to the hazards <laughs> at cog hill in my lifetime uh beautiful course they do a really nice job i've covered a number of pga events at cog in the past so beautiful course uh the chicago catholic league obviously uh historic high school conference in the greater chicagoland area they they do it up pretty big so uh, we'll we'll see how he plays. He's a freshman, so uh, he's he's competing in the sophomore level today. So excited to see how 18 holes treats him on a, on probably the highest profile course he's ever played. So,
3: <laughs> well, you think he might be the kind of kid who comes out and goes, "Pops, what am I doing playing golf in this weather? I'm out."
2: Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you, they played uh, they had a match with DePaul Prep on Monday of this week, and it was drizzling a little bit. But DePaul Prep's home course is right on the lakefront, basically straight east of Wrigley Field. And you know, God bless the kid. He comes home. He got home at like nine o'clock at night, because you know, four, You know, you tee off at four. I think 4:45 was when they started, all the way downtown, and then they got to hoof it back out to the burbs after getting done. Basically, from the, again the lakefront straight east of Wrigley Field. Basically, take Irving Park to the to the water there and uh how'd you shoot well i hit a ball in lake michigan <laughs> i was looking for a score but you know if the largest water hazard of your life comes into play and that's the highlight you know we'll take it you know i i hit one into the pacific on maui once but that wasn't what i took home is the uh <laughs> learning experience but here we are but oh, yeah man. so uh We'll see how he does today. Excited to see how he does, but yeah, five thirty a.m. bus time uh, for the fat kid this morning. So it, we're uh, we're definitely making sure that those who are purveying coffee in the greater area are well compensated this morning.
3: Very good. Well, good luck to him, and uh, I tell you, it won't be long until uh, quite a few major leaguers will be playing golf, I'm sure, in warmer cities across the country across the world in terms of going back home. And uh, that's what we'll be talking about here today as the... Courses uh,
2: are going to pack out in Arizona and Florida (laughs) in about two weeks.
3: As the the NHL players will be tag-teaming the MLB uh, non-playoff teams on the courses um, as things change here as we uh, head into the end of September with October knocking on the door. So, look, yeah, no, before- no
2: earth, wind, and fire for us to kick it off this morning. Oh, man. Uh,
3: That's you know, bad on me. Maybe, maybe I'll come back in on a return when we go to break later, okay?
2: Give it that. Uh, no, time. you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. You know, I think if you're really? uh,
3: You're a big earth, wind, and fire fan?
2: Big fan. Uh, fun anecdote before we dive into baseball while we're discussing wonderful music. Uh, last week, I tweeted this uh, story in a thread. I think it was Friday... Dropped the kid off at school. I tend to listen to music fairly loud in my car. Had the uh, the Spotify, which is the music player of choice, on. Hit the random button. Uh, finished a song. Crept up to a light as it turned red. September, by Earth, Wind & Fire, comes on. It's about 7.40 a.m. Like, yeah, you know what? That's a jam. I'm feeling it. Let's go. Turn it up a little bit. The sunroof is open. The windows are down. We're feeling it. Out of my peripheral vision on the right, a car creeps up. There's a young blonde driving, and she's kind of like, gives me the thumbs up. She's jamming to the radio, listening to mine. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like, we're feeling this. This is good. Peripheral vision to the left, uh, big white pickup truck, couple African-American gentlemen in it. Their windows are down. They're jamming to the same dang thing, so... Uh, you know, this week's line drive radio feel good moment and encouragement to the masses is even if you don't agree politically, you do or don't want to get a shot. You don't like the way or you love the way the government's going. You don't like the way that your baseball team is playing. I think we can all agree that at quarter to 8 a.m. on a Friday, if the right person has the right song blasting out the windows of their car, we can have a dance party at a red light for about 65 seconds. Uh, unfortunately, it was not. It was not yesterday, so uh, we will remember the 21st night of September.
1: Let's go! Woo!
2: Hey, go, buddy. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, bringing uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire on the 21st of September back to Chicago baseball. Yesterday was Bill Murray's birthday. At you. So we, so we, uh, we obviously, uh, you know, at the Cigar Lounge that we call the office, uh, had to do a Bill Murray marathon, which thankfully led off with Stripes and then followed through with uh, Ghostbusters and What About Bob?
3: Now, out of those three, which one's your favorite?
2: Out of those three, Stripes. Yeah, love me some Stripes, just. I mean, you've got John Candy in there uh you know i we got into it on favorite Bill Murray movies, and it is absolutely impossible I mean you can and it's, you're not even like fighting over it, you're like somebody else somebody else comes in with meatballs and you're like, oh, that's a great movie uh <laughs>
3: Scrooge was another classic
2: fantastic, you know Groundhog Day amazing, yep. watch it over and over again. it's the same thing uh but yeah it's uh and I think. You know, many fans and uh, my good friend, uh, former president of the Baseball Writers Association, Jesus Ortiz down in Houston tweeted the video that he shot with Bill Murray asking him if he recycles in the Cubs clubhouse when they won the World Series and handing him one of the (laughs) custom champagne bottles, which I believe Jesus actually kept for posterity. Um, But, you know, this is a this is a guy who has made like a dozen iconic movies. Uh, He is a a legend, and he paid for his own tickets and sat with the masses for Game 7 of the World Series in Cleveland and broke down crying when the Cubs won the World Series. He's a part owner of a minor league team. Uh, Just, I I tweeted this yesterday, Paul. uh, I would give every dollar I've ever made and every dollar that I will ever make to listen to a nine-inning baseball game called by Bill Murray and Bob Uecker.
3: I'm with you, man.
2: That that would be Why absolutely that amazing. <laughs> that would be next level. And if you get a chance, kids, uh, before we move on from birthdays and uh, really good soul music, uh, go out on the YouTubes and find it. There is incredible video before we cared about what people did on television uh, from August 8th of 1988, 8, 8, 88, uh, before what w- what would be the first night game ever played at Wrigley Field of Harry Carey in the bleachers doing his pregame with Bill Murray during which time Bill Murray consumes I believe between 3 and 5 old styles on oh the my. air oh my just breathtaking it's oh my. some of the, it, it's literally like if they did that today television like watching baseball would be so much more entertaining if you had Bill Murray and Harry Carey bent like a coat hanger in the booth. With all due respect to people like Joe Buck, if I could watch Harry Carey and Bill Murray have a drinking contest before yeah, a night I game, that one. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the petition. I'll sign it three times. This is Chicago.
3: I'm with you, man. Nah, no, it's some great stuff. Uh, look, it was great seeing Chelios there a couple weeks ago uh, doing the uh, take me out to the bowl game there with, uh, with for Tony Esposito hanging his yeah. jersey over the uh, – we just that was good. Uh, uh, not not a uh, great moment the other day either. Was Conor McGregor and his pitch? It was pretty.
2: Uh, We're calling that a pitch? No,
3: I don't know what that was. I you know I think it's time for Conor to stay home for a while.
2: Yeah. Well, may, you know, I, maybe it's time for a line drive radio Twitter poll: Is Conor McGregor a better boxer or pitcher? <laughs> you know. Maybe the pants are too tight for him to get a full windup. I don't know, but it was up there, <laughs> folks. If you haven't seen it, go find it on the Twitters. It's out there. It was online with, you know, the 50-cent first pitch. It There's just a bit outside to go back to Bob Uecker, and then there's missing it by a country acre, and he almost picked off the mascot taking pictures almost at the third baseline on deck circle. Brutal. It was atrocious.
3: Brutal. And last yeah. thing I'll say, too, is uh, I actually uh, played a uh, wedding uh, on Saturday, and I sang September by uh, Earth, Wind, Fire with my back in track. So uh, I closed the show out, which was great. It was a beautiful September day down on the beach here on Long Island. Congrats to uh, Craig and Anne-Marie with that said. And lastly, I don't think Richard Dreyfuss gets enough credit for his performance in What About Bob.
2: No, not at all.
1: He
3: yeah. takes oh. oxygen out of my lungs with his scenes as the movie goes on and he gets worse and worse.
2: One of the greater, <laughs> if you want to call him the straight man in that movie, just the banter back and forth between a neurotic Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss was just exceptional.
3: The scene, the scene at the end in the crazy hospital when he has the whole staff <laughs> sitting around him on the table.
2: <laughs> oh. oh, oh man. Screaming Brilliant like a writing. boat. Oh, uh, yeah.
3: And and my my favorite is when when, when crap goes down for anybody else. Uh, maybe like you know, say with somebody that you don't really care about, or you know, some you see somebody that you don't really care about, and they have a little bad bad luck. I always picture the old couple in the boat on the lake when the house goes <laughs> up.
2: <laughs> oh. oh, Between between that and the boat scene in Caddyshack, yes. Oh.
1: Alright, the new the podcast,
3: Tav and Pauly Review, Comedy Movies. Oh
2: <laughs> man. This week's Tangent on Line Drive Radio brought to you by Caffeine and the letter oh. L.
3: <laughs> Too good. Alright, let's fire up some old town music here and start talking some baseball. Uh we're gonna get into the wild car races uh pretty deeply. If that's a proper terminology, pretty deeply here in a little bit. But um uh, let's kick off um with the old the old Tom music, not that old, but Man, Salvador Perez, man, breaking Johnny Bench's home run record? What's the story? We were talking about him a couple weeks ago. Look at him. Look at him go.
2: Yeah, we got to give Salvi some flowers here because he's having, again, one of the best offensive seasons ever for a catcher. He's got the most, he's over 300 total bases, which is the most since Mike Piazza was with the Mets. Uh, you know, more than 20 years ago, I think it was 99 that he had, I think, 350. Um, and when you put this into the context that the Royals are terrible and there's really no reason for anyone to pitch to Salvador Perez. Um, you know, MOB.com had their analysts talk about who they would vote for in the MVP race. And the top three that they had in the American League were obviously Shohei and Vladdy at one and two. And then they had Vladdy's teammate, Marcus Simeon, at three. I'm not, I'm not here. I, Simeon's great. He's going to get paid in free agency this year, but I'm not here for that. It, I'm all in on Salvador Perez being in top three in the MVP voting because if you can do what he's doing with nobody needing or wanting should be wanting to pitch to you, with the bottom falling out of that lineup pretty significantly after you know you get through Perez... Uh, you know he's not getting many mistakes, and when he gets one, he's crushing it almost every time. So we have a new record. The Hall of Fame tweeted they're getting his mask and jersey from that game. That's but awesome. Kudos to Salvador Perez for breaking Johnny Bench's record for home runs in a season by a ca- primarily a catcher. Incredible.
3: Yeah and especially with all the talent it it's amazing it, it that that's such a great long standing record by Johnny I mean you know Johnny Bench obviously you know us guys me myself 52 you know John the Big Red Machine all those guys and Joe Morgan and stuff I mean um that's that's just something else I mean cuz he was such a um such a popular player on such a you know famous team and to um, you know I like the fact that yes you know, the record brought, but also like the fact that it brings a guy like Johnny Bench back into the the, the headlines here a little bit, too, because uh, that just brings back some great memories.
2: Yeah, and it, and it was a shame that uh, it was a shame that Johnny wasn't able to attend the Hall of Fame ceremony because he's really one of those guys that's such a big fan of being in the Hall of Fame and such a institution in himself and kind of the leader of the pack. Now that Joe Morgan has passed away Um. You know, and with him testing positive for COVID, he narrated that incredible tribute video that they did for the Hall of Famers who passed since they last had a ceremony. But, no, I mean, you think about how long that record stood and how long records don't stand these days, especially in power categories. For it to last that long is really impressive. And, you know, Salby, great dude. Looks like he's going to be a lifer in Kansas City. Um, And, you know, I... I hope for his sake that some of the massive amount of really good, talented young pitching that they've got coming and Bobby Witt Jr. can get the Royals back into a spot where they can compete because he's a really good dude, great player to watch, and it's great to see a guy like him having the season that he is because more people are talking about him. Lots of people like scratch their head like, how the hell is this guy in the home run derby? You don't yeah. think about catchers really outside of maybe Piazza being home run derby guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here he is with the major league lead uh, with, you know, whatever, 10 days left in the season. It's really amazing. So tip of the cap to Salvi Perez for being the guy in Kansas City where there are no other guys, especially since they traded Jorge Soler to Atlanta. No reason to pitch to him, and he's making a pay every time. I don't know how he's had 115 guys on base to drive in this year, frankly. But, <laughs> but there Man, he is.
3: That world championship seems so long ago in KC. It's funny. What have you done for me lately? Here we go. But congrats. Definitely tip of the cap. Another guy we gotta tip the cat to. Tip the cat. Well you can tip the cat if you're a cat lover or if you're a cat hater, you can tip the cat, whatever. Or but,
2: sitting on something that you need to use, which is there,
3: a there popular <laughs> habit for for, for you dog know. lovers. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: John Lester, the cards, two hundred wins, man. And uh yeah. you you posed the question, Hall of Famer? Yes or no?
2: You know, 200 isn't a number that a lot of people associate with the Hall of Fame. I don't think 300 is going to happen again. Um, you know, CC Sabathia retired, and he was the active leader. I think he ended up around 270. Um, 200 is a big number, especially when you consider the day and age that we're in today with the way that bullpens are being weaponized and how many starters are losing wins to bullpen usage. And... I think the, the larger case for John Lester to go into the Hall of Fame, which is comparable to the case that can be made for a guy like Andy Pettit, is his amazing postseason resume. Uh, and when you consider that Lester was a guy who did it when uh, you know Boston had not seen that kind of postseason pitching in a while, <laughs> Uh, and certainly the, no, you know, not many living Cubs fans after 108 years, uh, had seen that kind of postseason pitching. He was, he was a horse. He was a dog for the Cubs. He was the perfect free agent acquisition at the right time for the Cubs. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what kind of case can be made for a guy like John Lester, because I think, there are some other guys who, when you take away the the name and the cities that they played in, or the prestige of the teams, obviously Lester will benefit from doing what he did with Boston and and the Cubs. But there are guys with really good resumes. I brought up Andy Pettit. I think Mark Burley, formerly of the White Sox, who had a couple no nos on his resume, pitched really well for a long time, had a lot of Gold Gloves. Something John Lester will never be accused of a Gold Glove pitcher. But you know, I I think we're going to redefine you know, how many wins we actually care about and how much wins factor into the equation when we start talking about voting for Hall of Fame induction for starting pitchers. And I think Lester's been, like I said, he's been a dog for some big teams in big spots. And it'll be interesting to see when the dust settles and he hangs up the cleats, you know, what the the full resume is. And uh, how the voters respond to Johnny Lester, because he was always great with the media. Uh, Always a good dude to talk to. Charitable stuff, top-notch. You know, Anthony Rizzo's talked about how when they were both in the Red Sox organization, when they were young, Lester's a cancer survivor. Rizzo was a cancer survivor. How Lester was a big help for him off the field. So, great dude. 200's a big benchmark, obviously. So, Uh, kudos to john lester for getting there and when uh, when it's all said and done you know i think it he's going to be a guy that a lot of people are going to have to think long and hard about when they cast their ballots for cooperstown because he's he's done some really impressive stuff and some of his most impressive work has been when the lights have been brightest in big cities that do not take kindly to those who do not play well uh, when the lights are on so shout out to johnny lester
3: Good stuff. May, he may get another shot in a ring here too, where the cards are playing, baby. Ten in a row, unbelievable. St. Louis, city of champions. Here, um, I don't. You know, I want to ask you real quick because I'm just looking back here at his resume here a little bit, but I, I can only imagine, like to to be on the Red Sox and the Cubs winning World Series in those series, those cities, after those droughts, what what that experience must be like, you know, number one. And uh, is is Lester is he one of the only guys to have done that, to, to play for both the Sox? And, and has anybody else played for the Sox in Chicago in this time period over the last, you know, 20 years here with regards to uh, both of those cities winning the championship? Is he the only guy who's done it? Well, he's,
2: Which, uh, he's, cer- he's certainly the only guy who's won a World Series for both, for both organizations.
3: The, like, so nobody else has been on –
2: yeah, you know, and that's what's, you know, kind of unique about the Cubs World Series team and why the trade deadline was so hard to stomach is so many of the key players were homegrown. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle Hendricks wasn't drafted by the Cubs, but they acquired him as a minor leaguer and he came up. Rizzo, not drafted by the Cubs, but he came up, little cup of tea in San Diego, but really developed into a major league player with the Cubs. Baez, drafted by the Cubs. Addison Russell. Acquired as a minor leaguer, brought up. So Chris Bryant, drafted by the Cubs. So so many of those young guys were felt like homegrown because they came up from the minors and really established themselves as major leaguers in Chicago. And then you surrounded them with really quality veterans like John Lester, Dexter Fowler, Ben Zobrist, who obviously, you know, getting back to Kansas City's World Series uh, win. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, I I don't think that there was really a lot of other carryover or or guys who have. it's been a while since there was somebody who really was a star player in Boston and on the north side of Chicago. Obviously the biggest, I think, name that a lot of people think about when you say Boston and Chicago is Carlton Fisk, uh, who famously waved a home run fair against the big red machine and then spent the second half of his career, hall of fame career with the white Sox. Um, but Cubs and red Sox, you don't see a whole lot of crossover. So uh, he's in rare company when it comes to that. Also sure yeah. held in a 108 year drought, you know, not a lot of opportunities to win a world series with, uh, with both teams it, since it was, you know, at least 108 years since the Cubs were part of the equation. So, yeah, him and uh, uh, yeah. him and Epstein, and the only two guys who
3: can go uh, eat and drink for free in both cities.
2: <laughs> yes, sir. Good stuff. All Mick right. Theo, um, the commissioner, by the way. What's that? Make Theo the commissioner, by the way.
3: Really, that's an interesting topic. I don't know. If I know his name has come now. up
2: with. I know really? his name has come up in the Mets search for a new president. You know, he's working he can't for go to the Mets. No, I don't think he does. He's he's doing too much right now. He's know, a working. smart
3: man. He's not going. He's not going to flushing.
2: Well, and you know he's working in this you know you know evolving investment space with a group that's buying minority stakes and professional sports teams, um, and he's really doing interesting stuff in that field. I don't know that he wants to make the jump back into trying to fix a team. You know the Mets are going to are obviously in New York, an interesting situation with them being the little brother in New York, but having not won anything since 86, you know, that's certainly something that would be enticing, but I don't, I don't think we
3: talked about last week that might be opening up in the Bronx.
2: Mm. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, but I don't, again, like that, that's the complete opposite. You could follow a, a drunk and a spousal abuser, you know, serial (laughs) sexual harasser with the Mets, (laughs) Or you can follow a guy who gets credit for crafting a dynasty on the other side of town. Two very different equations. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, you know, following, you know, a jamoke off the street and following a legend. So if you're having that internal dialogue, those are two. And I, I don't know that there's necessarily a strong case to be made that one is a better situation than the other. Obviously, I think both situations would love to have a guy the caliber, of Theo Epstein, Uh, But like I said, I don't know that he's a guy who is going to go back to running an individual team uh, from a day-to-day perspective. But I'd love to see him run Major League Baseball because I think he's got great ideas. He's young enough that he could do it for a long time. And he's done a good enough job working with agents and players over the years in those two cities that one would think that he would come in with a little bit more of an open mind to... Uh, crafting a long-term positive relationship with the Players Association than the current commissioner, who was a lawyer working in labor relations on behalf of the owners before being the commissioner.
3: All right, let's stick on this since you brought up the topic, and I think it's incredibly interesting. So I got I got a roll with it here for you for a couple minutes here too. Um, as far as that position becoming available, how's how does that work? As
2: far as the owners,
3: you know Manfred right now, him getting out. Epstein possibly coming in how does that work
2: well generally in a position like that you got to really 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 screw something up for the owners to ask you to leave Uh, there's a pretty lengthy process to identify who the next person's going to be you know Bud Selig went from the ownership ranks into the commissioner's role uh, and Manfred was really crafted for the role as part of Seelig's administration. Um, so really, I think I'm not saying that Rob Manfred is in any kind of hot water or that he has any plans of leaving the role. I'm just saying if, if I had the choice between the two on a clean slate, I'd take Theo Epstein in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, you know, Manfred may decide that he's, his time is up. Now, when I say you've got to really, really, really screw something up. In about six weeks, he has the opportunity to really, really, really screw something up. And that is the pending collective bargaining agreement. And you've got a pending lawsuit right now between the Players Association and the commissioner's office slash owners. Um, And if that goes the way of the players, that could get ugly. Uh, You've got another, you know, Potential lawsuit that could influence baseball in the not too distant future with the St. Louis area suing the now Los Angeles Rams for breach of contract when they jump ship. And I think there are a lot of interested parties in Oakland with the athletics looking to potentially relocate because they haven't been able to get a stadium deal done that are probably keeping their eyes on that right now. So you've got a lot of stuff off the field. Um, you know, Obviously, there are issues that we're going to dive into when we get into the offseason pretty hardcore with what's going on with minor league baseball and major league baseball taking control of minor league baseball away from its independent front office um, and starting to run things there. Um, there's a huge potential for that to go right. There's a huge growth curve that needs to take place. Um, and I think that Major League Baseball, with all of the money and influence and power that they have and all the media opportunities that they have, especially with the way that they developed uh, advanced MLB Advanced Media to really grow the game at the minor league level with more media availability for to watch minor league games. Uh, I think YouTube TV is a great platform for that if they choose to look at doing something digitally with minor league teams. But like I said... He'd have to really screw something up. He he hasn't rubbed everybody the right way, uh, but he hasn't really screwed anything up. A lot of people don't like Gary Bettman, and you could make a case he's been the best commissioner in the history of the National Hockey League when you look at mm-hmm. the growth of money and the way that they've expanded things and, and working with the outdoor games and so many other things that have gone well with the National Hockey League from a business perspective. Not every commissioner is going to go over with the fans. Goodell... People can't stand for a handful of reasons. Um, I think if you were power ranking him, it would be Adam Silver in the NBA and then like a Grand Canyon-sized gap between him and the other three in the Big Four when you start talking about who loves a commissioner. Not a lot of people like Manfred. I'm not a a huge fan. Uh, I don't think that he's done an awful, awful like fire him now job. But he has, like I said, he has the opportunity this winter to really, really, really screw something up. Mm -hmm. And if we get to a place that there's a lockout or a strike and next season's delayed or God forbid canceled or postponed or whatever they want to do, um, you know, that could be a a breaking point for some of the owners who will tell you that they lost money last year by putting players on the field in front of an empty house, but they would lose a heck of a lot more if they turn fans off again in 2022, the way that they did in 94. Where now with the proliferation of media, it's obvious if you look at the ratings and all of the anecdotal data that comes out, sports fans and sports media consumers have so many options today Mm -hmm. that baseball is not the alpha anymore. And a lockout could be the long-term impact of the last lockout was felt really until McGuire and Sosa broke the home run record. And even then, there were teams that struggled to come all the way back for 20 years. A lockout now, I don't think it would kill baseball, but it would sure as hell make it really hard for both sides to make the money that they hope and like to. So uh, here's hoping that we don't need to have a conversation about replacing a commissioner because he screwed everything up with the CBA negotiations, but there's an opportunity there. He could win the day or he could really screw it up. And I think, as we've talked about all year, Paul, our hope is that baseball can come to a good agreement. Both sides aren't going to be thrilled as long as both sides are accepting of the terms that they come to and it improves the situation for the players, the owners are happy, and most importantly, it improves the baseball experience for us, the fans. We're good. Play ball.
3: Been absolute tragedy, man. Especially after this season the way it's going, to uh, to see it all come to a halt. But uh, we won't think about that now. And I guess the last thing on that's get S- it one, done, uh, Manfred. <laughs> I guess Amp, uh, Epstein would have to get that in the pipeline, though, too, down the road. I mean, he'd have to let the powers that be know that he's interested.
2: Yeah. You know? Well, and if he, you know, if he showed up at the commissioner's office with a Cosmo Kramer briefcase of a bottle of water and some saltines, I think they'd probably be like, oh, you're hired. There you go. But it's, uh... Uh, but yeah, here's hoping Rob Manfred uh, puts a lot of this conversation to rest by quickly solving the collective bargaining agreement issue that is looming this winter.
3: I'm with you on that one. All right, uh, another guy having a uh, a good week here too is uh, on the Cleveland Indians. a A former outfielder. Anthony goes in the bullpen. Debut yeah. this week. Take it away, Tab, and tell hey, us the story.
2: This is a this is a dude, he, the the inverse of Rick Ankeel, who lost the strike zone and never found it again. So he became an outfielder. I think a lot of people view that as being kind of a more easily visible career path in baseball. Uh, we look at what Shohei Otani's is doing now, and obviously he's a freak of nature. We've never seen anything like that before. The way that he's been able to show up and show out all year has been so flippin' impressive. But see, you know, and there have been instances where players have gone from being a position player to a pitcher. But usually that happens at the minor league level when you're young, can't can't hit a curveball, and you got a good arm. So let's see if you can throw a little bit. I think the most notable. Example of that would be former catcher Kenley Jansen, who with that body, I can't fathom how long he would have lasted <laughs> behind the plate. Um, he's a big boy. Uh, but Anthony Ghost, former outfielder who had a cup of tea in the majors as an outfielder uh, to varied levels of success, uh, went back and rediscovered himself as a potential bullpen piece, uh, 31 years old made his bullpen debut on Monday night against Salvador Perez and the Kansas city Royals. Uh, he threw 39 pitches. Three of them were strikes to Salvador Perez to get the strikeout of, again, someone who's having a historic season for backstops yeah. hit a hundred miles an hour on the gun with seven of his 39 pitches. I mean, this guy has a hose and you're just like, Holy cow. You know, you, Now that we've got a radar gun on guys thrown across the diamond, I think lots of Cubs fans would have loved to have known what the exit velocity was on the arm of Sean Dunstan back in the day. Uh, You know, Mark Grace swears to this day that if he wanted to, Dunstan could have touched 100 from short. You know, I've, I've seen Joey Gallo on the play that Gary Sanchez just disgustingly botched the other week, threw the ball home from left field, and it was clocked at north of 95 miles an hour. But you got a crow hop in there and you got a little weight behind it. Doing it from a prone position and just wind up and go is a little bit different. So, for a 31 year old former outfielder to come in and look pretty good and hit 107 out of 39 pitches is really impressive. You know, that's almost 20% of his pitches going to triple digits. So, really cool story. We'll see where this goes. I mean, obviously, having spent the last couple years, you know, with a complete Career overhaul and moving to the mound, not a lot of mileage on the arm. So, you know, he's an interesting guy that, you know, if he shows out in the next week and a half or so, might be a guy that has some intrigue for teams looking for a wild card in their bullpen in the future. But yeah, I mean, he hit 100 miles an hour seven times. That's there's a lot of guys throwing 100, but for a former outfielder 31 years old to do it, that's really impressive. So, Shout out to Anthony Ghost. Good, good, fun story.
3: Absolutely, but I gotta ask you how many how many teams would be looking for a thirty one year old former outfielder to put in their their rotation? And i i and that's so much his unique situation. But I want to ask you this in terms of the age in baseball. We talk about this, um, which Wendell out in Chicago here, you know, an older guy getting a shot here as a rookie. But you take a thirty one year old guy as far as pitching. Uh, for a team, what's where's the age breakdown for, you know? I guess I hate to use the term, but shelf life for a pitcher, number one, who's been a pitcher his whole career, but here's a guy like this now having a, you know, a good game the other night here, but you know, you talk about maybe somebody looking for him to put in his rotation. Is is that something that's really a reality? Is that is that something that's going to really happen, or?
2: Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think, unless it's a gimmicky thing on a team that really doesn't have a chance. I don't know that anybody's going to buy him as a as a starting pitcher, but in a bullpen arm, you know, a guy that can throw that kind of velocity, you know, again, he's got a couple weeks here where he can show more of this. And it's not going to be a massive resume, but it have a little bit more body of work against major league hitters to show what he can do. I mean, the, the thing is – with the way that the salary cap, in air quotes, the luxury tax threshold works in Major League Baseball, there are always teams that are looking for lottery tickets, especially in their bullpen. And I think Goes is a guy who isn't going to command a huge salary, and if he hits, you've got something that, for I would imagine, pretty cheap that could be a, a huge weapon. In your bullpen, you know we talk about like one of the strengths that the White Sox have going into the postseason is the number of guys who can touch triple digits with ease in their bullpen. And there's a lot of guys that can do that, but a guy who can hit a hundred for cheap, who again, thirty-one is it's on the wrong side of thirty for a pitcher. But again, when you put it in the context of he was an outfielder playing in the big leagues at twenty-six, there's not a lot of mileage on his arm, so. I don't know that I – if you want to go dog years, I don't think his arm is 31 years old well, by any I means.
3: That's why I bring this up. It's inter- I mean, you look at all the different aspects of a unique kind of player like this. Number one is age. Number one is history in the position, obviously, being a pitcher. But you talk about that, yeah. you know, arm strength, uh, you know, the miles on his arm, all this other stuff. Where, And, and even a, a, guy, a guy like goes here, maybe this is – it extends his career a little longer if he does become a, a relief pitcher now for maybe can, – can a guy like this at his age, and if he works on his mechanics and, and more of this and maybe puts all of his stuff into this, uh, you know, being a pitcher, that he um he extends his career here maybe four or five years.
2: Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for him. Again, need to see it more than once. Um, mm-hmm. But if he's a guy that can give you a strong inning out of the bullpen and he's cheap – Absolutely. Because what, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time going through the wild card races here today. And the one consistent theme here is how many arms do you have? The reason the Dodgers already have a playoff spot locked up and they've got a 15 and a half game lead on the second wild card spot in the National League and the second best record in baseball is because they have more arms than anyone else. The reason the White Sox have succeeded this year is they've got a lot of arms. Houston always has a lot of arms. The way that Tampa does it, they don't have a lot of, they, with Glass now down, they don't have a, a lead horse in the rotation, but they got a lot of arms. And so what you need to compete is a lot of arms. You need to have depth, and you got to have quality, and you got to have a different mix of stuff. And a lot of teams would rather spend $30 million on a starting pitcher than $15 million on a closer. So how do you fill that bullpen out affordably? Every team looks for it, and it's the lottery tickets that you bring in. Maybe it's not a guaranteed deal. Maybe it's a camp invite. Maybe it is a guaranteed deal after he throws a few times this year, but he's the kind of lottery ticket that you sign for change, and if it works out, it's incredible. And if it doesn't... It's not a lot of money. You DFA him, it's not a big loss. Um, Very high reward, low risk proposition here on a guy who was pretty impressive in his first time out on a major league mound. So I do think, you know, there is a huge opportunity here for this guy to extend his career and make some good money. You know, if he can do it for a year or two, I mean, you look at Rich Hill, he disappeared for years and then resurfaced as a guy who was thrown in a men's league and got paid. So, you know, there's always, if you can throw strikes and get and miss bats and get soft contact, people will pay you. And if you can throw 100 miles an hour and you can strike people out, there will be people who will line up to pay you. And I think it's a fun story, but fun becomes real when you hit the market and see what comes after a couple really exciting appearances at the end of a year for a team that's out of it. So let's see where it goes, pun intended. Uh, And, you know, he's got an opportunity here to maybe win a roster spot on. And, again, they're going to be bad teams that are looking for guys that are lottery tickets who, if they pitch, you know, if you're you're the Orioles and you're not really pushing all of your chips in next year, if you're the Rangers and you're not pushing all of your chips in next year, you know, if – if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates and you're not pushing all your chips in next year, if you're the Washington Nationals and you're not as aggressive in free agency, if you're the Rockies or Diamondbacks, you got teams that are coming that have minor league systems that are telling you they're going to compete at some point down the road if all these guys get there at the same time, but who might not 22 might not be the year on their calendar that they're circling to win it all, mm-hmm. that are looking for guys that they can sign for cheap, figure out if they're serviceable, and if they are serviceable, those become absolute gold at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. So you give a guy a, a, a minimum contract with absolutely no risk whatsoever, and if he ends up being gold, you trade him to a contender and you go get yourself something for nothing. I think there's a huge opportunity for the guy to really do some exciting things. So we're rooting for you, Anthony. Go get it. Throw well, stay healthy, keep that arm in one piece, and you know, go find a job next year so we can root for you to really turn your career around and become something that we can look back at your career as an outfielder and this impressive debut against Kansas City on Monday night and say, Man, that was a really cool story. Look at what he did with himself. So go get it, Anthony, we're rooting for you.
3: Dig it, dig it. See if he comes back in a, a guardian's uniform next year. Oh Ooh. God. All right, we're going to swing into the wild card race here, and we're going to start with the American League. And another good story this week, which was last night, especially for us Janky fans, was the return of Louis
1: Severino.
3: 7-1 win last night for the Yanks. Louis hits two innings, gave up two hits, and struck out two. Yanks get the win. i tell you, it was fun. Just to, to see him back in there. He was pumped. So a little good story. His stuff looked good. What's that? His stuff looked good. Yeah, he looked real good. The he breaking looked ball was
2: nasty once again. And this is a guy who people thought would be, you know, one of the reasons that the Yankees spent as much money as they did on Garrett Cole was because Severino wasn't going to pitch for him for a year because of TJ and, you know, it took him. A while to get back. He's had a really bumpy road trying to come back. He hadn't pitched since the 2019 postseason. And he comes in last night, and you could tell that the team was ready for it, and they were excited to have him back. He was hyped, and he went out, and his stuff looked good. And you know, we were talking in the pre-show fistfight about (laughs) he could be a, a really serious weapon for the Yankees out of the bullpen. Uh, in small doses, obviously, I think long-term, they want to get him back in the rotation. That would be a huge game-changer for them if he can be the Cy Young-caliber you guy that he was. But I think out of the bullpen the rest of the way, he he could be a huge game-changer for them, especially with Luizaga gone, because he was kind of doing that thing. And Severino, if he can replace Luizaga, it lengthens the bullpen for the Yankees significantly. But the question that I posed to you before we went on the air here, Paul, is is it too little too late for the Yankees?
3: It's yet to be determined. But to see him in there and to see the guys winning actually here a little bit um, and they're in the mix and and the games are coming up, you know, like I said, you you said it, they control their destiny. But, hey, look, you know, you you, got to love having them in there. And if you remember last week what we were talking about, let's say the Yankees just find a way. They find a way into that wild card game. And we talked about the whole decision-making with Cole and, you know, starting him or whatever. Just having him back in the swing of things. And like I said, I don't care what you do. You throw the kitchen sink at them. But just seeing him back in the pinstripes last night, seeing him pitch confidently, I got to say one thing more than anything. too. It's, it's just a, a great, you know. Look, they had a stinker the other day. They, they had no excuses in that game, uh, you know, 11-1 the other day. I mean, it's just – but this is the team – that we're dealing with this year. But when things turn around and you get a game last night and, you know, it was good, it was a little bit of a layup for him to come in, uh, didn't have that pressure, not like there was, you know, bases loaded and, uh, you know, like the game on the line or anything else like that. But it's a good thing, and because it's on the mound, anything that's good on the mound for the Yankees will take it. And as far as it being too late, I mean you can you know, are the Yankees the only team that you're gonna, you know, talk to about that? You know, you could throw the same question at Boston, you could show the same question at Toronto and Oakland, Seattle, all these teams trying to get in for the last spot. Yeah. So they're in there. And we and got like, one of we got one of our guns back.
2: Yeah, and what you're looking for right now in any of these races, and we're gonna dig in here on the American League, but what you're looking for is if you're in the mix and trying to win in right? If you're Houston with an eight-game lead, if you're the White Sox with a ten-and-a-half-game lead, even the Rays with a six-game lead, even though they're four and six in their last ten, I think most people consider the division races to be pretty cut and dry in the American League. National League, I think the Brewers' nine-and-a-half, it's done. Um, Congrats Dodgers, Brewers. Giants are both... Got the Do- X, Dodgers, some Giants are Yeah, there you go. Fighting Brewers. <laughs> the the Eukers, uh, who have lost three in a row. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but have absolutely no fear of St. Louis catching them because they've won 10 St. Louis has won 10 straight and they are still nine and a half back. Uh, But like the Dodgers and giants are in. Okay. So they're fighting for getting out of the wild card game, but they're in right. If you're in the national league East where Atlanta and Philly are separated by three games, if you're in the wild card mix, obviously the matchups matter, but it's been a long season we've talked about this all year, last year was more of a, you know, it wasn't a hundred meter dash, but maybe it was a quarter mile. It was still a sprint, but it was a long sprint, right? We're back to the marathon here. And we're starting to see a lot of pitchers have been going all year, starting to get a little tired. Guys are starting to get some breaks. Uh, Load management is starting to come into play for the teams that are, you know, walking in comfortably. If you're trying to get in, obviously performance is going to be a deal, but, what a lot of these teams are looking for is some type of a catalyst, some a change agent. And I think for Boston, you know, we were crapping on them a month ago. You know, is Chris Sale really going to change things for them? He has. I mean, they've won their last six, he's been really good. They're now a game and a half clear of Toronto in the first spot in the wild card. They've won seven of their last ten. You know. Boston and the addition of Kyle Schwarber now is is working out pretty well for their lineup as well, but you need a catalyst. You need a change agent. You need something to give you a little spark, right? And if Severino coming back after missing almost two full years and bringing his energy and giving them a one plus inning option with really dirty stuff in that late inning role that Luizaga was filling, if he can be a spark for that team, great because you know i'm like is it too little too late they're a half game behind toronto now toronto's scoring at a ridiculous rate and their pitching looks like it's there so you're gonna have a dog fight here down the stretch in the american league east between those three teams are really the the front runners to fight for those two spots right now uh, with oakland and seattle both now three games back you know i think everyone's looking at boston toronto and the yankees which is fun for the rivalry talk. We've been talking about Garrett Cole, Chris Sale in a wild card game, and that mm-hmm. you know there would be TV executives that needed a cold shower and a cigarette if that's what <laughs> lined up. But there's absolutely no reason to think that the Yankees are done. There have been times that you thought they were done. You know, the life support was definitely being utilized at, in the Bronx for a while there, but they fought back. And now it's just a matter of winning more games. And we've talked about it a lot. You know, we look at the remaining schedules here for the teams that are in the mix. And Oakland, I think at the bottom of the thing here, they are up against the top. They've got two teams left in four series. They've got two, two against Seattle at home, three against Houston at home, three in Seattle, three in Houston. So Oakland's going against a Houston team that's pretty clear. But a Seattle team who they're tied with three games back in the wild card. Mm -hmm. So if they beat each other up three games back, they're going to mitigate whatever damage they might make in the playoff race. Boston's schedule. Right now they've got a a game-and-a-half lead. Later today they've got the Mets. Then they got three at home against the Yankees, and we'll get to watch that on every major network we want this weekend. Then they go to Baltimore for three and Washington for three. Bottom feeders. Boston, I think, has the easiest path in. They've got a game-and-a-half lead, and they they finished their season with six road games against teams that have exciting players. We've talked about Juan Soto a lot this year. Uh, we've talked about Cedric Mullins after he's one of our early fantasy ads of the week. You know, they've got some fun teams, but Boston, you look at the records there, and Boston, I think, has the easiest path forward. I would say seven of their last ten games are games that they should be able to win on paper. <laughs> again you play the games because on paper it doesn't mean a damn thing. Toronto finishes up a what's become an emotional series in Tampa with the whole catcher dropping the lineup cheat sheet 2600 fans in the stands. Kiermaier picking them up and you know now that we've got a you know a little bit of a pissing contest going on between Tampa <laughs> and Toronto because Toronto you know dro- their catcher drops his cheat sheet for how they're going to approach Tampa's lineup. And like, Tampa's the most analytically driven organization in the league. If they don't know how teams are going to approach them, if they're not self-scouting, they're not winning that division. So let's be real. Like, Tampa shouldn't need to have a cheat sheet for how another team views them. But they don't like each other. Cool. We got a little drama. And then Toronto's got four at Minnesota who are really fighting it right now. And then three with the Yankees, huge. And then three against Baltimore. So Baltimore's going to play into this thing. Boston and Toronto both get to take a shot at the Orioles here down the stretch. Yankees own their destiny. They are a half game behind Toronto for the second wildcard spot. They are a game and a half behind Boston. After finishing a series with Texas on Wednesday, we already said it, three at Boston, three at Toronto. And then they finished the season with three at home in the Bronx against Tampa. Who, should have, who will have clinched by then and are probably more concerned with being healthy, though, you know, avoiding the possibility of Garrett Cole in the playoffs may be something that they're interested in. Wrecking it for the Yankees, you know, knocking out the Giant. I think everybody wants to be the the team that keeps the Yankees from the postseason, but Tampa will be more motivated by trying to win the American League pennant again than – Beating the Yankees in those three games. But those nine games, nine out of the ten are against teams in front of the Yankees in the playoffs. You want in, you've got a chance to do it. You win two out of three against Toronto, that helps. Now, you got to win probably two out of three in Boston before that to stay close. And then you got to handle your business against Tampa because you're finishing the season at home with three against Tampa while Boston's in Washington and Toronto's hosting the Orioles. So I don't think that the American League wildcard race is going to be settled before the final pitch is thrown. We've talked about it this year. Some people didn't like the wild Card. Some people hated adding a second team. This is what it's all about. We're talking about three big markets, Boston, Toronto, New York, fighting each other for two spots. Three men enter, two men leave. And they're going to fight it out with each other. Whoever made the schedule is brilliant, and this is going to play out to be drama until the last pitch, and that's what you love as a fan. You want to care about the game, you're going to have to care about every game here down the stretch in Boston, Toronto, and New York.
3: Yeah, there's uh, a lot of fun. There's a lot of stress, anxiety. You get a a, a mix of uh, all your favorite sweating types of emotions coming up here over the next um,
2: two to three weeks here. God bless yeah. alcohol sales in those three cities.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because I would imagine consumption is going to be real good here for a while.
3: You know, I I, th- I think you said last week. I think you gave the Yanks four losses that they couldn't they couldn't lose more than four. I mean, you know, and we talked about last week too. If you look at the the Baltimore series, uh, the, the two series they had against the Orioles there, and you know that being a, um, they'll have to look back at that. But, man, giving up 22 runs in two games against the Indians at home is just, I mean, you figure. Yeah, with- it, it.
2: But here's the great thing, Paul. You can't give up 22 runs in two games to the fighting Guardians. But, <laughs> but the great thing about baseball is you play another day. This isn't the NFL where you crap the bed and you've only got 15 more chances to fix yourself, right? And we saw the Green Bay Packers get blowtorched in the worst loss in franchise history in their first game and then come out and beat the Lions, right? And Aaron the Rodgers tell everybody to relax again. Yeah, You're not using counts. the
3: Lions as a benchmark, are you?
2: Yeah, the <laughs> Lions. Um, but in baseball, you play 162 games. You can come out, you lose a couple ugly ones. Ten games left on the schedule. I think the Yankees, if the Yankees go 7-3 in their final ten, they get in. They're 6-4 in their last ten. They've won their last two. I think they've got to beat Texas tonight and then take two out of three in Boston and Toronto and against Tampa. So my math is if you go seven and three in your final ten for the Yankees, you're in.
3: That's a hell quest- of a huge game on tap today for the Yanks. They have to win that. You have you have NFL
2: to beat Texas at home. You have to. You have to. Whatever Not it takes. even a question. That's a must. You lose if you lose to Texas today, you are really putting yourself behind the eight ball. Because again, Toronto's got four I mean, Toronto's got an extra game left, by the way. That's where the half comes in. They've got eleven left. And they've got Tampa tonight and then the seven that they have between Minnesota and Baltimore, again, winnable games. You got 10 left for Boston, the Mets, eh. And then this, the final six, Baltimore and Washington, again, those are should win games for Boston. So that's why I say with a game and a half spread, I think seven and three is what the Yankees have to do to get in. The question do- is, is that enough? Like if Toronto – I really think that that three games in Toronto is going to be what decides everything. I really do. I think if the Yankees come out and sweep that series, it, they they backpedal into the playoffs. And If Toronto wins two out of three, I don't know. But Toronto's those four in Minnesota are going to be huge because the weather's going to suck. And it's going to be tough playing conditions, and Toronto's going to have to cowboy through that before they go home to finish the season. So... But this is, again, this is the fun. We're looking at 10 or 11 games left for the top three teams. They're rivals. They don't like each other. In case of Boston, the Yankees, they hate each other. And they're playing each other. So you're going to look across the lines. You're going to step in the box and look at a dude in the wrong color hat. And that's the guy you got to beat that day to get in. This is what it's all about. In the NFL, you want to have it be the final weekend matters. That's why every. There's no Monday Night Football the last week in the NFL because you want it decided that day. That's what MLB gave us this year. The last day of the season, you will probably not know who the first and second wild cards are in the American League based on the way that the schedules are laid out. And the team that controls the destiny, really of all three, is the Yankees. If they sweep the Red Sox, they're probably in first in the wild card. If they get swept by the Blue Jays, the whole all bets are off. Especially with Boston finishing the season with those six in Baltimore and Washington, so it's what we sign up for, man. All excitement, all the time.
3: And tonight, your starting pitcher for the New York Yankees, Corey Gluber. Number twenty-eight. That's number twenty-eight, Corey Kluber.
2: Well, first of all, the Blackhawks <laughs> need to retire twenty-eight for Steve Larmer, but that's just a soapbox. I'm with you for on that, buddy. Show.
3: Loved him when but, he was uh, a Ranger, baby.
2: Oh, he was so clutch. Like, was there any question that Keenan was going to have him out there with Messier to finish the cup? No. Um, anyway, that's a little hockey moment for us here on Line Drive Radio. Uh, this is a big start for Kluber. It certainly he, is. He he hasn't been good. No. It's just, I mean, been, the whole no-hitter thing, great. He hasn't been good for a couple months. And... This is a game that the Yankees have to win. We already said that. Texas is a terrible, terrible team. They're not good. And so you get a game like this on the schedule, you have to win it, and you got a guy who you really haven't been able to trust on the bump. Kluber was brought there because he's got experience. He's been in these dogfights before. So go get it. If he, throw, if he can go out and throw a gem tonight, the last two months are not completely forgotten, but they're glossed over. If he can go out and throw a gem tonight, that's a big Band-Aid on the wound that he's created over the last couple months. So, I would say the biggest start of Corey Kluber's Yankees career comes tonight, the 22nd of September, in the Bronx against the artist formerly known as the Joey Gallows, uh, now the Texas. Rangers. No Chuck (laughs) Norris references coming.
3: Good stuff. Yankees got to give him the old one-two punch tonight. Like Muhammad Ali. I don't even watch that documentary, man. It's uh,
2: pretty phenomenal. amazing.
3: Woo! Great story there. All right, so look, before we jump into the National League, we'll take our little regular break here on Lawn Drive Radio. We'll be right back. Once again, thanks so much, to everybody. Subscribe and follow us here at Lawn Drive Radio on the Revolver Podcast Network. We'll be right back. We'll talk some National League, baby. Right here on LDR. And just like that, we're back. It's a beautiful day here on Long Island there, buddy. Warm weather sticking around for us here. On the island of Long on the East Coast. Go paddleboarding later, buddy. Send me some pictures on Instagram.
2: Looking for a bonfire with some scotch tonight because you know Woo. Wednesday. Um, so a little chilly in Chicago today, but uh, that doesn't matter when you can stay indoors and watch baseball. And kudos to the networks, especially ESPN, for going all in here because we're going to be able to watch a lot of these key games on national TV. Down the stretch, and I think that's exciting for the audiences of teams that aren't in it to see, you know, have a little envy down the stretch here. And, are they
3: really watching it, Tab? Are they real? Are they really watching? Only what, the diehards. Only the, only the baseball I, I, diehards
2: are watching. I mean, what else, what else are you watching last night? Are you are, are you watching Red Sox Mets or are you watching uh, whatever the uh, the impeachment docu series on? Uh, I don't even Fx. think
3: Mets fans are watching the Red Sox Mets last night.
2: No, I think. What's the magic more, number, Tab? Tragic number or magic number?
3: <laughs> Tragic number. Yes, that's right.
2: Yeah. They're minus seven right now, which I think is the line for both the Jets and Giants this weekend. Good times in New York. <laughs> Can't wait for hockey to start because everybody else is disappointing. No, I, I, I think it, the more national audiences you can have watching the game, the better. I think that there are probably more people that are reveling in the Mets implosion and the dumpster fire that they've become. Then maybe are watching to cheer for either team in that scenario. Certainly, you know, Red Sox Nation has has certainly let us know that they are a coast to coast proposition. So everybody across the country that's a Red Sox fan to be able to watch is is a good thing for them, especially as they try to cling to that game and a half lead. But you're going to get a lot to look at in both the American and National Leagues uh, down the stretch here, and. Even though there's really only one spot up for grabs in the National League, uh, there's plenty of drama down the stretch here to keep an eye on.
3: Certainly is. As far as um, you know, I'm looking at the sheet you gave me here today, and and you know just the Dodgers here and and the Padres a little a uh, little theater, a little drama there in San Diego this past week here too
2: you know, singing kumbaya, making s'mores, making friends, you know.
3: You know, I mean Manny,
2: Manny Machado and Fernando Tatís having a little uh, brotherly kumbaya in the dugout. What's Manny's uh, contract?
3: What is Manny's contract at anyway?
2: how much is he
3: How much is he making? Let's uh let's bring that up. I mean cause you those Let's go grab you know the Machado. Uh, Tatís is making serious coin. So you got a couple big personalities on this uh this team here.
2: Three it gross total $300 million for Machado. Um, which of course is you know 341 for uh Francisco Lindor being a benchmark here. So between Machado and Tatis, $640 million total. Uh, starting uh, when I think Tatis is kicks in. This year as well, The if you go on average annual value and not what the annual payout is, because obviously that fluctuates more in baseball. But average annual value, $54.3 million. And these guys are getting after each other, having a little big brother, little brother uh, discussion of recipes and where they're going to have dinner after the game. Uh, look, it, these are frustrating times for San Diego. They went all in. They spent big. They sent some big prospects out. They spent a lot of money in the off season and people thought that they would be where the giants are now, that the Dodgers were going to have their hands full the whole season in the West. And it would be the Padres doing it. And now we're looking at a team that signed a DFA, Jake Arietta, who wasn't good enough for the Cubs who are now 24 games out in the central uh, and hope that he would be the band-aid that would save them and now he's DFA'd. I mean, they're just grabbing anything that they can off the scrap heap to try and give them some innings, and it's not working, which shouldn't surprise people. But look, you know, Darvish has missed time. Snell's been a disappointment. Their bullpen has not worked. Tatis getting hurt early in the year really took them off course to make it a three-team race in the West. And, you know, I think if you're looking, if you're one of those that likes to go out and bet futures, I think. Jace Tingler's job is on the line right now. You know, I I think with the amount of money that they spent, and I've made this case over and over again, a manager can control only two things, the lineup he puts on the field and the in-game decisions that he makes to replace batters and pitchers. He can't control health, and he can't control the guys executing when he puts them out there. Mm -hmm. And Jace Tingler has gotten screwed by the health bug this year, and a lot of the players on that team just have not perform to the level that they're either being paid, Eric Hosmer, or the level that you expect. And a guy like Blake Snell who's just a couple years removed from a Cy Young season. So, you know, if, if Tingler gets run, I mean, that's going to be a tough sell. I mean, a lot of guys would line up to take a job with a team that's that loaded. But when you consider the expectations are through the roof and they're thinking their World Series are bust for the next five years, you know, it's, it's harder – to take a job where the expectations are the World Series than it is to take a job where expectations are nothing. It would be easier to manage what you're given in Pittsburgh or Texas than it is to go manage San Diego. Did you know, I just or laugh even... when you
3: said Pittsburgh? I'm
2: sorry. Yeah, sorry. or or even like the LA Angels. Like, look, next year, knock on wood, Lord willing, Shohei Otani is going to come back as a reigning MVP. Mike Trout will be healthy for the first time in six months. Anthony Rendon should hopefully get his act together and give you a full season. And if you've got those three bats in the lineup, you're as potent as any team on the West Coast. Those are three big boys. Mm -hmm. They got to fix their pitching, which has been the problem that's been the issue for the Angels for a number of years. And the guys that they, you know, tried to throw you know five number three starters out there this year and it backfired like an eighty seven Camaro but you know those are tough jobs when I mean, you've got a boatload of talent and high expectations and owners that are willing to spend money to fix everything and they spend that money those are high expectations so you know as we dig into the national league you know wildcard here mike Schilt is making a case for the runner up to gabe kapler as the manager of the year I think the only award that's as much a lock as the American League MVP of all the awards in baseball this year is Gabe Kapler, National League Manager of the Year, for what he's done with a massively overachieving Giants team that'll cross the 100-win plateau when people were thinking 500 was a pipe dream in February. Um, But you look at the wild card race in the National League, and for all of the drama that we had in the American League, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of drama here in the last week and a half in the national league. Dodgers already clinched. They got a 15 and a half game cushion. They're chasing the giants in the West. So it's, they're in, you got one spot up for grabs, the Cardinals who we had crapped on a pretty good amount this year. They made the big play for Arenado for half a season. It didn't work. And then all of a sudden stuff started to click and little by little, they started to climb and now you're looking at a 10-game win streak. Has them four games clear of Cincinnati, which is huge. Four and a half clear of Philadelphia. Who have, last night the Phillies jumped the Padres. And the Padres are now five back. So I would say, you know, the Padres are probably got the priest coming here (pun intended) to read them their last rites this weekend in the in the postseason bid. Um, And really, I think the Reds are the only team that St. Louis really needs to worry about here. And they do. Let me be clear. Even with a four-game lead, the St. Louis Cardinals need to worry about the Cincinnati Reds. Why? St. Louis has 12 games left, including tonight. They got Wednesday, Thursday, and Milwaukee who are trying to put the division completely to bed and, more importantly, make sure... That there's no question about any kind of home field mm-hmm. anywhere, but they've got an opportunity here if they can max out those 12 games. You know, if something were to go crazy and you get an upset in the wild, and you know, wild card team somehow ends up knocking out somebody, they they have the opportunity here with 91 wins. They're two games behind the best record in the American League, right? right. If you're Milwaukee, what you're playing for is the potential of home field, in if you can get to the World Series. That's that's what Milwaukee cares about. They got two against St. Louis here. Uh, St. Louis then comes to Chicago and plays the Cubs for four. And let's not, you know, the Cubs are two and eight in their last ten. On paper, not a good team but there's no it's one of the better rivalries in baseball yeah, i would say it's right th- right there with boston new york and san francisco la when it comes to the fans hate each other the teams don't get along very much and you've got cubs players who are fighting for a job next year 7 of the last 12 games for st louis come against the cubs the other 5 are against the brewers so kind of like oakland they've only got two teams left on the schedule they face them here So, St. Louis finishes up in Milwaukee with two Wednesday-Thursday. They go to Chicago to play in what looks like potentially beautiful fall weather for a four-game set over the weekend. they got three against Milwaukee at home, and then they finish the season at Bush against the Cubs. So, 12 games. Okay, interesting. Why do they have to care about Cincinnati with a four-game lead? Cincinnati's got Pittsburgh tonight, four against Washington, who we've already established, not good. Two against a White Sox team that has given every indication that they're totally cool backpedaling into the playoffs because they care about being healthy when they get there. And then they finished the season with three in Pittsburgh. So you've got four games with Pittsburgh and four with Washington and two at Chicago against a White Sox team that is more motivated by being healthy in the playoffs than winning games at this point. So out of those, you know... 10 games obviously the two in hand for st louis could be a game changer here but cincinnati's got a real opportunity to, if they can get their act together to me if they roll off an eight and two you're interesting now right now cincinnati's three and seven in their last 10 so they got to write that ship pretty significantly in a hot rush cincinnati's pitching staff which on paper i think a lot of people like more again on paper than st louis Their pitching staff's allowed 80 more runs than the Cardinals have this year. They've scored almost 100 more runs. So Cincinnati's runs for 731. Cardinals runs for 635. But St. Louis has allowed 628. Cincinnati's allowed 708. So, you know, you've got two teams that do it very different ways. The Cardinals are looking to win a 2-1-3-2 game. The Reds are hoping to pull out a 5-3-5-4 win. Uh, but the Reds have got teams here down the down the home stretch that they could potentially score five or six runs a game against. San Diego, I mean, I don't know. This, not only are they falling apart at the seams here, but they got two at home against San Francisco. Then they got three at home against Atlanta. We're going to dig in on the one race that's still intriguing. Three at the Dodgers and three at the Giants. And those games matter for the Giants and Dodgers because they're still fighting for a division. Absolutely. So there's, there's a good chance that San Diego gets their ass kicked all the way to the finish line here. <laughs> it's nice really
3: is. It, I think that's the hard truth right there, what you just said.
2: I mean, they've got teams that are, have more. The worst thing is when you're struggling, you're trying to climb out of a hole, and you don't have a lot of time left, and everybody that you're playing against is better than you and still playing for something. And that's what San Diego's schedule is. San Francisco, they've got five games left against San Francisco who are clinging to a lead. they got three in L.A. where they haven't played well. And then they've got three against Atlanta. And I think it's worth us taking a minute to dig in on why we have to care about Atlanta. Atlanta's got a three-game lead, as we talk here on Wednesday, over the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, in the East, when you look at the standings, Atlanta's won three in a row, but only five of their last ten. The Phillies have won a whole one-game streak, if we want to call it that, but six of their last ten. But that three-game lead matters. Why? Because this the penultimate series of the season for both teams is in Atlanta. So Atlanta's got uh, Wednesday, Thursday in Arizona, three at San Diego, and then they go home for three against the Phillies before finishing up against what's left of the Mets. Philly... As Baltimore tonight. They've got four against Pittsburgh over the weekend in Philadelphia, and then they go to Atlanta for three and they finish at Miami. So if it's a three-game lead, that series will determine more than likely who comes out of the National League East. So the Phillies are four and a half back at St. Louis. I don't think that's happening. I think the only team that's got a snowball's chance in hell of hella catch in St. Louis is Cincinnati. And that's because the schedule lines up, but the way that St. Louis is playing right now and the way Lester and Wainwright are throwing. I just, I don't know that it's going to happen. I think you're going to have a blue blood wild card between either the Dodgers or giants in St. Louis, three of the older teams in the national league, but the East is still wide open. And you've got the, again, we talked about the Yankees having their guy, the teams that they're looking at next to them on the schedule, Atlanta Philly. It's a three game spread. They've both got winnable games between now and then, and they've got three games in Atlanta, the penultimate series of the season for both teams, and that could decide what who comes out of the National League East. So while the wild card might not be up for grabs, there's an opportunity for Cincinnati to make it interesting. The National League East is far from done, and you know that both Miami and the Mets are going to relish the opportunity to make it uncomfortable for the Braves and Phillies here to finish the season off after they get each other for three.
3: Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't even matter who comes out of the East, because if it's Atlanta or Philly, they're going to get swept in the first round any, anyway, no matter who comes out of that wild card game and gets into the uh, the playoffs, and then you got Milwaukee, San Francisco. I mean, if it's L.A., and if St. Louis keeps riding this train, and I think it's trending this way, uh, that they get into that game, and, and that'll be just something else. Uh, to, to see that kind of comeback was—I I don't know if anybody had the cards on their baseball playoff bingo charts uh, a few weeks ago, but good stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, look, the AL East is just—I think uh, you called it a dumpster fire. Somebody did. I mean, it's just nobody wants to win. Nobody wants to come out of it. They're all horrible, and uh, unfortunately for that, the uh, you know somebody—they got it. They got to take somebody out of the division.
2: Well, maybe maybe they're sneaky like a fox. Maybe they figure, no look. Way. Well, here, here, food for thought. Let's let's be the devil's advocate here. Let's toss some crap at the wall and see what sticks. Um, you win the National Yeast East. You're not playing the wild card. You're getting Milwaukee in the first round, right? I think on paper, again, everything on paper only means what it is on paper. You have to play the game. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. But I think with the the additions that Atlanta made at the trade deadline to give them a completely overhauled outfield, the way that Freeman's been playing in the second half, the way Albies has been playing Austin Riley's, you know, emerged as a bona fide superstar. Um, Philly, obviously Bryce Harper, most people feel has become the front runner for the national league MVP. I think they need to get in for him to really solidify that, Mm -hmm. but you got him real Muto, You've got some other nice pieces, obviously losing Hoskins for the year hurts. But when you look at Milwaukee's lineup, Yellich has been down this year. Lorenzo Cain is still playing great defense. But it, who, who in the Brewers lineup are you circling and saying, holy cow, we can't let that guy beat us? All of them. Now, they're, they're, they're Every pitching, single one of them. Their pitching staff is phenomenal. But Atlanta has some good arms. I think if you look at Philly, Zach Wheeler is on the fringe of the Cy Young conversation. Aaron Nola has the ability. We've talked about him being bipolar between his starts this year. He's either a world beater or the world's laughing at him. But I mean, you look at the the Brewers lineup and Luis Urlias has twenty one homers. Avi Sael Garcia has twenty eight. Avi Garcia leads the team with 83 runs batted in. You've got three guys with north of 50 runs batted in, and one of them, Willie Adams, didn't get there until, what, June? You know, so you look at this. 91
3: wins, brother. They're doing something wins. right.
2: But again, over, over a marathon, you've got to be better than the teams that you play against on the day that you play against them. When you get into a short series, individual matchups start to matter. And I I'm I'm not saying Milwaukee's gonna get trounced here or that they're a terrible team because I think they've got the best one to three pitching staff outside of LA probably going into the playoffs with Woodruff, Burns and Peralta. I think the three of them all finish in the top five or six of Cy Young voting, depending on wow. which one of them steals votes from the other. Okay. So I'm not I'm not crapping on them at all. But look at Woodruff has incredible numbers and he's nine and ten. Burns is ten and four. Peralta is nine and five. So, this is a team. The, these are guys whose numbers suggest that they're going to have like an eighteen and five record at this point in the year. But the wins have not piled up because this team has been winning games late. Brent Suter, who has started one game, is twelve and five. The leader in wins on the Milwaukee Brewers pitching staff is Brent Suter, which means they are manufacturing runs late. Full props to Craig Council for being an old-school, small-ball guy, and he's got a team that can execute that. But if you go into a series here where you're matching up with one team every day, I like the Braves lineup more than I like the Brewers lineup. I like the Phillies lineup more than I like the Brewers lineup. I like the Brewers pitching better. But again, you got to win the game that day. And... That's where it becomes interesting if you're one of those two teams in the National League East is, guess what? You're going to have the Cardinals and either Dodgers or Giants, one of them is going to go home. And then you're going to have the next best thing lining up against the winner. Are you actually
3: paving a way for the Eastern Division National League Division winner? You're you're carving a path to the World Series right now? Is that what you're doing?
2: No, not the the World Series, because I think if you get the (laughs) Dodgers, the Dodgers are better in every regard than everybody else in the National League on paper. Even though Bellinger's on the 10-day right now, I still think they're deep enough in every aspect. Their starting rotation is the best in the National League, best in baseball. Their bullpen is solid. Their lineup is good from top to bottom. They manufacture runs with small ball, or they can bludgeon you to death. They do everything that you want in a team that – has legitimate back-to-back World Series champion aspirations. Um, but I think that you, you, if you squint real hard, you could make a case that winning the National League East and avoiding the Dodgers, Giants, Cardinals, if at all possible in the first round, is more advantageous than winning the wild card and having to face either the Dodgers or Giants in that game and then going into L.A. or San Francisco for that first series.
3: That is a good point. And
2: so that's where it gets interesting if you're the Phillies and Braves, is if you win that and you get Milwaukee in the first round, I would not. I mean, look, last year Miami snuck in the back door and then beat the Chicago Cubs, who on paper were a significantly better team. Why? Because they had Sixto Sanchez throwing liquid filth, and the Cubs couldn't handle their pitching if the Braves arms show up and their lineup which is better than Milwaukee's produces just enough runs i could very easily see a scenario where the Brewers go home earlier than they want to because the Phillies are I, and Braves are up to the challenge in a series with Milwaukee and i think you know let's be real you talk about the historical storylines here a Milwaukee Atlanta series with the Braves having moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, I think that would be fun from a historical perspective. Um, and I certainly think that with the, what we've talked about over this year since the loss of Henry Aaron, and those two teams being the two that you know he performed for in the two cities where he played, I think that would be a great storyline. Also, but at the end of the day, you got to win games, and I think Ian Anderson coming back late in the season for Atlanta changes the dynamic of their rotation. And their bat, I, I just like their bats better than Milwaukee's. So, winning the East and avoiding the Dodgers until the NLCS makes it interesting.
3: Please give me Joe Girardi, Hopper, and the Philly fanatic over Brian Snitker and the Atlanta Braves, please, as far as the excitement level. <laughs>
1: the storylines please
2: yeah you know uh you know if acuna was there for atlanta i'd be all in to watch him and albies go run it but you know and that sucks for atlanta that Al- <laughs> Acuna's not going to be able to participate because god he's one of the funnest guys on the planet to watch go get it but yeah i mean snicker council you know that's a you know verbal melatonin Ugh. uh you know post-game pressers brought to you by folgers crystals please. um but, yeah, I mean, the, the, I I like Atlanta's lineup more. I like Philly's lineup more. I like Milwaukee's starting pitching better. But if you go Zach Wheeler in game one and Nola in game two, I think the Phillies pitching staff lines up a little bit better with Milwaukee's than Atlanta's does. But, again, I think that that's not as wide open a series as the records would tell you. So for all the mediocrity and all the – Shade that we've thrown at the National League East this year. Sly like a fox. If you can avoid playing the Dodgers until the National League Championship Series. Where anything can happen. And health is paramount. Go get it. So we'll, we'll have three games here with the Braves and Phillies. Fighting each other. In the second to last series of the year. For both teams. With potentially a division crown on the line. So just like the American League East. Everybody wants to complain about an East Coast bias. Oh, you got Line Drive Radio. You talk about the Yankees every week. Well, guess what? Here we sit on the 22nd of September and the drama in the playoff races, and there's a boatload of drama to be talked about. We've spent a fair amount of time here breaking bread, talking about where these playoffs are going. The drama's in the East. We talked about what's hot and what right now. What's and hot Mets, is
3: the Mets. The Mets aren't involved.
2: Stone that? Cold. <laughs> yeah, Steve Austin is going to replace Steve Cohen as the owner because the Mets are Stone Cold.
3: <laughs> oh man, does Rojas come back? They're talking about him not coming back. What? He should. Can you imagine? He should. I mean, that'll be some interesting offseason stuff. It's just to um... look. I'm not losing any sleep over it as a Yankee fan. We got our own stuff to worry about here. But, man, what an offseason. What's it going to look like next spring in Flushing, New York?
2: And you know what? The hardest decision that they're going to have to make is not a decision that they should have to be making, in my opinion. They, they made a huge trade at the deadline to go get Javier Baez. My favorite player to watch and cover. Still crying into my Cheerios that he's not finishing the year with the Cubs. Cross my fingers he comes back. We'll see. But you look at the relationship he has with Lindor and the way those guys have fun on the infield together and the way that there's camaraderie. And frankly, Hobby has, for the most part, been an offensive game changer for the Mets. The strikeouts are down. The walks are up. He's adjusted. They aren't throwing him strikes down the stretch, and he's not chasing as much as he did with the Cubs. And he is becoming, again, you talk about catalysts. If anything else was going right for the Mets, he would be a catalyst. But look, for everything that I said about Jace Tingler, and you can't control health, and you can only control control the guys that you put out there doing their jobs, you look at that Mets team, and they have flaws. Okay, They weren't a good defensive team when they put them on the field to start the year. If you take Jacob DeGrom out of their rotation for three months, and you take Francisco Lindor out of that lineup for six weeks, this is what you get. You take your best bat out for a month and a half in the middle of the pennant race, and you take the arguably the best pitcher in baseball. And I think the way he was throwing before that point, he was walking away with the Cy Young in the National League this year. Had the highest strikeout per nine rate of his career. You take the best pitcher in baseball out of the rotation – and the dominoes that fall from there, and you take your best bat out of the lineup, who had not played well in the first half, admittedly. he said as much. He's been much better since Baez got there, but you got very little from Lindor in the first half, and then he spends six critical weeks on the injured list, and what do you end up with? You end up with a team that's a touchdown and a point after try from being near the National League's top shelf. And I don't put any of that on Rojas because at the end of the day, if they had a DH in the National League and he had a better defensive left fielder out there than Dom Smith, and Dom Smith could be a better defensive first baseman than Pete Alonso, you get better defensively, that helps your pitching. You give him DeGrom for three months instead instead of having to go Marcus Stroman or Taiwan Walker against the other team's ace, the trickle down of losing DeGrom for three months has been absolutely enormous. And that's not Rojas's fault. He didn't throw him too many innings. His shoulder just wasn't feeling it. His arm wasn't there. And they're protecting their most valuable asset. Not their highest paid, that's Lindor now, but their most valuable asset without question is Jacob DeGrom. And they need to go spend money to fix that starting rotation. They need to spend money fixing their bullpen. And my fear for Mets fans is that because of the relationship he has with Lindor and the way that he's played down the stretch, and Cohen probably loves the guy, That they're gonna make the middle of their infield a five hundred million dollar middle infield, just like the Padres have six hundred and forty million on the left side of their infield until they stick Tatis in the outfield to keep his shoulder where it started. (laughs) But you don't if you're the Mets, pitching is your problem.
3: And the front office is your problem, and the owner's the problem. Yeah. You got lots of problems.
2: Yeah, it's, it's you need to go buy groceries and you pass the new car dealer and you decide to go buy yourself a new Ferrari instead of <laughs> going and buying groceries for the family. They need pitching, <laughs> a lot of it, and it's going to be expensive because it's not a great free agent market this year. And if and you need DeGrom to be healthy. And if you spend 20-plus million on Javier Baez, and that means you can't get a Robbie Ray, you're going to end up looking up at the division again next year because guess what? Atlanta's pitching staff has been crushed by injuries this whole year. And Ronald Acuna hasn't played the last two months. Atlanta's going to be better next year. And Philadelphia obviously has no problem spending money, and Real has been back and forth, and they're finishing the year without Hoskins. They'll be better next year. And while Javier Baez gives you one of the most fun-to-watch, electrifying, dynamic middle infields, and he and Lindor would be so great together, and you would have the face of the franchise and you'd have a couple bilingual guys in New York. I mean, there are 800 reasons to do that, but there are 50 million reasons not to, and it's called a starting rotation. And I, if they end up with Javier Baez and not Marcus Stroman and not Robbie Ray... And not a rotation that can stack up three or four guys, you're not winning anything. And we're talking about how do you how does Milwaukee or Atlanta get out of that series to go get their ass kicked by the Dodgers? Why are they going to get their ass kicked by the Dodgers? Because they're going to roll Scherzer and then Bueller and then Kershaw and then Urias. Two guys with Cy Youngs at home. One of them will probably win it this year. And then you got Bueller and Urias. Bueller will get one at some point. He probably would have won it this year if Scherzer didn't go out there and turn into the Milwaukee version of CC Sabathia and dominate <laughs> the hell out of people for a month and a half. And Urias is a bona fide number two in 25 cities, and he's the number four in L.A. He might line up as a three in the playoffs because Kershaw's coming, coming back from injury and age and all that, but... If you are if you want to win the National League in the next five years, you got to have four dogs. And right now, the Mets don't have a single one that you can line up and say, we've got an ace. Marcus Stroman's a damn good pitcher. I love Marcus Stroman, and I hope the Mets keep him because he's perfect for that team. But he's a number two or a number three. He's a high three, low two. And without DeGrom, he's had to be your one. And that's why you're seven games back. And, uh, I don't care. And that's my soapbox on <laughs> at the expense of – who. oh, by the way, they don't even have a GM to hire the – make the I offers know. and sign the checks. So let's not even start with who they should go sign as a player until you figure out your president role, which I wrote this the other day to Lead Sports in New York. Outside of the box or maybe bringing him back into the box thought, we talked about Epstein not wanting that job. John Heyman tweeted that they're going to try to get Billy Bean to jump or they're going to try and get David Stearns out of Milwaukee. I don't know why he'd go from Milwaukee to the Mets. So much less pressure to survive in Milwaukee and, frankly, a better team.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Paul De Podesta, uh was parts of five different teams winning divisions in 20 years before he made the jump to being the president of the Cleveland Browns. And the Browns are on the rise. And it's because he's using the approach that he learned in Oakland, and then other places to build a team in the NFL, and it's working. I, if I'm the Mets, I would at least make the phone call and see if baseball still gives them the itch. Hmm. Paul De Podesta, your laundry radio the pick the click for president of baseball operations <laughs> in Flushing. Oh, man.
3: I'd say the agent... In those negotiations, can see the uh, it might be tough. We'll see. And you it's know, all-
2: hey, if you, if he puts up with Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. on Twitter, he can put up with Steve Cohen. <sighs> True that.
3: True that. So look, Tab, <laughs> before we uh we say goodbye, we're not doing the uh, Tab Andy f- Fantasy add on this week because it's pretty much all over, right, pal?
2: It's all done. Yeah, if, we just if you need you everybody's
3: need money, winnings. That's all.
2: Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll throw this out there. We'll we'll, we'll get we'll throw a curtis, we'll throw some flowers here. Uh, Line drive radio fantasy out of the week. He's owned by pretty much nobody on the planet. Uh, But if you're in a dynasty league and you might be able to hang on to somebody as a flyer next year, pick up Anthony goes in your bullpen. There you go. Nice.
3: Nice. Special treat there.
2: Take a flyer on the guy. What the heck? No, your most fantasy leagues are wrapping up. If you're head to head, this is the last week. Um, If you're based on points, you've pretty much decided it by now. And if you're looking to the waiver wire to win it based on points, or individual stats. If you're in the rotisserie format, it's really not going to happen for you off of the wire at this point. So no fantasy out of the week, hard fantasy out of the week this week. But if you're in a dynasty format and you want to go feel good uh, with a guy that you could hang on to next year, Anthony goes.
3: I like it. All right. So look, in lieu of the fantasy add-on there, then what I want to ask you, we've just run down the wild card race. So there's about 10 games to go here now. And by the time we get back next week, say for argument's sake, it's next Wednesday. It'll be five games left, and, you know, sometimes me and Tab push the show to Friday or whatever. So, you know, things might be playing out one way or the other. A little tighter. It might go down the wire. But with the scenarios that we talked about today on the show, can we do a prediction here as far as who's going to get the, uh, the the two wild card, the wild card game spot in the American League and who's going to um, grab that uh, last game, last position there in the wild card for the National League? Can we, can mean you make predictions or what?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you want to go first with the American League?
3: Yeah. Um, look, I've said it all season long: the Yankees are winning everything, so I have to stay there. But jettisoning Guy, out of the sister. spaceship and coming back down in the real world, um, I've got a check mark, unfortunately, uh, next to uh, Boston here, as uh, you know, and Toronto. I'm going to probably play in that wild card game. All right, and Tampa Bay will look- hang on to the division.
2: I like it. Right. Okay. Uh, right.
3: I... Because I just think the schedule, li- the way it's lining up for uh, Boston right now and the way, you know, Tampa's been playing, uh, you know, and just like I said, I love my Yanks. Uh, like I said, hopefully there's some magic here that comes back and they do it and, uh, you know, we'll never give up on them. But uh, like I said, in in the real world, I think in terms of how things are panning out, I think uh, that's how things are going to line up there. And that's uh, that's that's where I have to at least... Show some some form of um, using my head on
2: this in terms of where yeah. we are right now. So here, here's where I'm going to go. And what have I said about the playoff race since the 4th of July, Paul? You've said embrace many things, but I, embrace, I, the, embrace chaos. the
3: chaos always comes.
2: And we, we're at peak chaos right now, um, almost to the level that Ian Malcolm is going to crawl out of a dinosaur's mouth and start telling us about it. Jurassic Park reference. Um <laughs> National League, I'm going to say that the Cardinals get in. um, And I'm going to say that uh, Philly jumps the Braves. I think San Diego is going to cowboy up a little bit here and fight down the stretch. I think the ugly scene between Tatis and Machado, means San Diego, even though they don't realistically have anything to play for, are going to give you a better effort down the stretch here. The Mets are out of it, but Atlanta finishing with the Mets with Baez playing for money um, and them having a little bit of pride here. I think Philly having four at home against Pittsburgh to finish their home slate uh, and then three in Atlanta versus three in San Diego. Um, I think Philly sneaks in and overcomes a three-game deficit here in the last week and a half to win the National League East. Uh, but I'm going to stick with St. Louis hanging on with that four-game lead in the National League Wild Card. The American League,
3: and I just wanted—I want to say real quick—I'm I'm agree with you on the National League. I'm the same thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm
2: American I'm League
3: pulling for the, uh, the Phillies to do that too. So I'm with you on the same page there in the National League. Though.
2: Girardi, um, American League with a game and a half lead. And finishing the season with three in Baltimore and three in Washington. It is hard, even if they get swept in New York, it's hard for me to see a route where Boston does not get one of the two games.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm going to say Boston gets one. The next question becomes, Toronto or the Yankees? I'm going to go with Toronto. Toronto. And the reason that I say that is this. Oh, it it hurts so bad. The reason that I say that is this. They've got an extra game to play. It's at Minnesota. And Minnesota is in full crash and burn mode right now. The last three games for the Yankees, being against Tampa, with the way that the races are shaping up again, Tampa is fighting for some type of home field scenario to play out in their best interests here. And with 93 wins, they are three games in front of Houston for the best record in the American league, which I think Houston has an opportunity to catch them. Houston's eight and two in their last 10. They're playing well. Tampa's 4-6 and in their last 10, so Tampa needs to get right going into the playoffs here to hang on to the one seed in the American League. So Tampa will have something to play for the last weekend of the season. Not the division, but the top dog seat. They want everybody to have to come down to Tampa and play in their urinal cake by the freeway. So I'm going to say Tampa ruins it for the Yankees in the final weekend of the season And Toronto, by virtue of having the four in Minnesota and finishing the season with three at home against Baltimore, I think those seven games against inferior opponents versus the Yankees going three in Boston, three in Toronto, and then three in Tampa, the Yankees have zero room for error. They control their destiny, but the bad thing about controlling your destiny is you have zero room for error. And Boston and Toronto both have an easier path. And right now, Toronto has the edge by half a game. And that half game is going to be made up at Minnesota, who are bad. Right now, Minnesota is in last place in the American League Central, 4-6 and in their last 10, and they have allowed 788 runs this year, which is the second worst in the American League behind only Baltimore, who's going to eclipse 900 runs allowed at some point here. They're at 897 as we My speak Lord. today. So the Minnesota Twins, who brought in Josh Donaldson, they brought in Antrelton Simmons. They changed their bullpen. They made a bunch of changes to compete with the White Sox this year, 19 games back. They are 32-45 uh, and 45 on the road. They're six games under, 34-40 and 40 at home. And their pitching staff has been atrocious. They traded away their ace and i just i don't see how minnesota gives toronto a game and the fact that toronto's half game margin on the yankees is a game in minnesota for me it's just the yankees are going to have to sweep toronto in toronto and get some help from baltimore and minnesota and I just I don't know that that's going to happen. I think, like I said, I think if the Yankees go seven and three in their last ten here, I think they get in. I don't think they go seven and three. I think they end up at five and five or six and four, and I don't think that that's enough. So I'm going to go Boston and Toronto in the wild card. Uh, Robbie Ray and Chris Sale will be just as enticing a pitching matchup as Garrett Cole, even though. Robbie Ray is not the household name. He will be after he gets paid this winter. Um, And I'm going to say Toronto actually gets out of the wild card, and I'm going to go as far as to say Toronto plays the Chicago White Sox in the American League Championship Series right now with 11 games left in the schedule for the Blue Jays. That offense is rolling. Everybody is going, not just Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, And I I, I think that those seven games are just – they they were given a gift. Boston was given a gift with Baltimore and Washington. In those three games against in Washington for the Red Sox, if he, if he get let's call, say he gets twelve plate appearances in three games, if Juan Soto gets more than two pitches to hit in those twelve plate appearances, the Red Sox are the dumbest team on the planet. <laughs> Like literally, they should do it. The, they, the Red Sox, should treat Juan Soto in those three games the way that the Cubs ruined Bryce Harper a few years ago, and they should not. They should just say, "Go, <laughs> free pass." You're gonna, be, you're on base percentage in the final three games of the season is going to be a thousand because we're putting you on every damn time.
3: And I'd have to say, from one fellow Chicago resident to another, and from Tad Bamford and this gentleman. That's the fact, Jack.
2: That's the fact, Jack. <laughs> Love it.
3: There you go, Full baby. Full circle.
2: We're going to finish it up with Bill Murray. him <laughs> and Egon. The only way to do it, baby. Walking down the street.
3: Oh, man. Great stuff. All right. We'll be back here next week, and, and all this stuff is going to pan out one way or the other. Hard to believe it's been a, a hell of a season And uh, you know all these different storylines just playing out. We got a lot of fun here with the uh, the wild card races finishing up, and then we'll dive into
2: that. Lady sings. (laughs) It's
3: all good stuff. All right, so thank you so much as always for following, subscribing, and listening, and sharing. Tell the world we appreciate it. So on behalf of yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, thank you so much for listening to Line Drive Radio, and as always, Tab, say good day to the folks.
2: Enjoy watching these games. We've got competitive races all the way to the end. And if you're one of those people who's so inclined, dust off your LinkedIn, print off a resume, and mail it to Steve Cohen. You, too, could be the president of baseball operations for the New York Mets. <laughs> and flushing is wonderful this time of year. Woo! More right. like courtesy flushing. <laughs>
3: Enjoy the games, folks. It's going to be fun here this last ten. So go enjoy it. And as always, as we say here on Laundry Radio, play ball!
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play.